and welcome to Mondo Hollywood on 101.5 FM in Winnipeg. My name is Amanda Stefanik, and I'm glad to say that today's entire hour is featuring female composers. And this show is extra special because I was lucky enough to interview Laura Cartman, the Emmy Award-winning composer of the song that we just heard, which was the main title for last year's Discovery Channel documentary series, Why We Hate. Her latest project, in collaboration with frequent co-writer Raphael Sadiq, is the HBO series Lovecraft Country, and their resulting score for their 1950s set horror series, which tackles racial evils as well as Lovecraftian ones, is one I've quickly grown to love. So before we jump into the interview, let's first hear a track from the third episode of this show, called Goat Blood, as is the song I ask her about later, and I hope you enjoy this track as much as I do.
I'm joined today by Laura Cartman, Grammy and Emmy Award-winning composer. Uh, her most recent win was for last year's acclaimed documentary series for the Discovery Channel called Why We Hate, and was the first American woman composer inducted in the music branch of the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences, and even subsequently elected to become the first female governor of that branch. And you may have heard her work in such projects as Steven Spielberg produced miniseries Taken, The Sandlot 2, or the fantastic new HBO series Lovecraft Country, which recently wrapped up its first series. She's also the co-founder of the Alliance of Women Film Composers, which not only celebrates the work of female artists, but also acts as an online directory for filmmakers looking for new talents. Thanks for taking the time to join me today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, first off, I really do love the soundtrack for Love Cat Country. Uh, I'm still catching up on the episodes. I haven't finished it yet. Got the great musical hints of what might be coming. No spoilers. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. And I do like even on the soundtrack itself, you have it like by the episode, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. But overall, it's such like a lush gothic style score. I was surprised to find out you, you actually recorded it during the pandemic. Yeah, everything was recorded um, by individuals in their living rooms, bedrooms, closets, every every way. And it, it's really interesting because it kind of started out being by necessity. Obviously, we couldn't put people in a room together and it's still difficult to do so. But wound up being, I think, something that like gives the show kind of a unique sound. And it's funny because it can have that lush gothic sound, but it can also have a more intimate kind of close mic sound and so when it's when we got the first mixes back for for the first episode I thought oh my god this sounds like Jerry Goldsmith and I think it you know it it was it's kind of like Jerry Goldsmith in the early 60s late 50s which is you know close to the period um of sound of, of Lovecraft which is 1955 and and I think it's because people are kind of individually close miking. So we do have that ability to have that kind of chamber sound. And, and you know, through the, the workings of uh, Brad Hanel is our, our gorgeous engineer, who is also Canadian, I might say. Um, he, uh, he really can make it sound also very big and very lush and as if we were in a concert hall. Uh, and as, it's funny that you you mentioned Jerry Goldsmith there because that was like when I like he's one of my favorite composers and I yeah. definitely got some of the like one of my favorite tracks is Goat Blood from the I think it's Holy Ghost episode yeah and um, it's got all these like really intense sounds like at the beginning like and then all of a sudden it, like this like the music's almost attacking you and that's that kind of like I don't know I think was he he did Miss Pista Waltz I think Jerry Goldsmith it kind of reminded me of that this really like strong music. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because like I said, I didn't think about it so much when I was writing it, but when I heard it back, I, it, it felt like it was referential to a lot of those scores of his, which were, you know, sort of living in the same world, you know, like Planet of the Apes. I mean, all of that is aleatoric composition, which, you know, for you, for your listeners, people don't know what that means. It's kind of chance music. So you kind of put people together and you tell them, play a screech and so you've got you know 30 different string players playing a screech and then those individual sounds make a massive sound and um you know in terms of the way that we recorded it it was like i had no idea if it if it would work but it did it worked great and it it's it was just an odd leap of faith that turned out to work out great i think and, and your collaborator on this project is uh, Raphael Sadiq. Uh, yes. For someone like me, knows him from Tony, Tony, Tony. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting because you're, you're both from these different musical worlds. How, did, mm -hmm. how does that work together? 
Well, I mean, it's every, we've done a lot of projects together and every project is sort of radically different. Um, this particular one, uh, we were separated. So sometimes we'll sit in the room together and work together. So in this one, it was more sort of bifurcated tax, uh, tasks, you know, so Raphael did a lot of the sound design. So a lot of the, you know, the non-orchestral sounds he did, any guitars, any basses, um, you know, the, the um, Artem theme he did first and sent it to me. And then I kind of orchestrated and built on that and then used it as one of the major themes in the show. So that's how we worked on this particular project. Sometimes he'll start a cue, sometimes I'll start a cue. Um, this one leaned heavier orchestral. So he was doing more sound design and then, you know, coming up with some things here and there that I would incorporate and then orchestrate. But he's a beautiful, beautiful musician, a beautiful man, um, somebody that I, I love very much and someone that I really love working with. And I think we push each other because we're from such different backgrounds musically. Underground was another show that you guys did. Yeah. Uh, and I was listening to that score earlier today and it was very interesting. Yeah, underground, we were more in the same room and underground was more like guitar and bass. You know, there were a lot of those things. We used his voice more. So he has a very strong presence in that show. And I loved, I mean, that was, that was also an incredible show to work on. I mean, and the thing about Misha Green, who's the showrunner on both of them is that she gives us a lot, a lot of creative license. Speaking of uh, Misha Green, um, how does uh, she like kind of have influence over this, the musical side of it? Just tremendous influence. <laughs> um, she, uh, she's a strong, strong um, and brilliant, brilliant person. And so, you know, she's the kind of person that says, well, let me hear it. Like if I say, well, let, what do you think about doing something like this? Or, you know, for example, in episode 109, what do you think about doing, you know, an opera requiem? And, and she said, well, let, let me hear it. And then she'll, you know, she'll hear it. So in other words, you have license to go out and try something. You always have license to experiment. And if you don't hit it, she'll tell you and she's, she'll be open to hear the next version. She's got very strong ideas about music. She's very clear about what she wants. And, um, and yet at the same time, she, I, I feel like I have a tremendous amount of freedom working with her. And is there any specific track on the, in the album that you're particularly proud of? I mean, there's so much that I'm proud of, but I, I think for me, the, the reaction to Tulsa 1921, which was the operatic piece at the end of episode nine, it really surprised me. And it's, I think that a lot of people had never heard opera and the, the sort of the people who reached out to me and on Instagram and Twitter and other platforms and how it touched people because, you know, I wrote that during the, um, the George Floyd protests and it was really, a, it, was a, it was a meaningful creative expression in a way. I, it, I'm not saying that well, it's like, I had to go to a deep place and it, it took a while. I think it showed in the music and I was blown away by the reaction. And Sonia Sanchez is the great poet. She actually called me last week at the end of last week. And I, you know, she just called me her sister and, and told me how much my music meant to her and how she loved what I did with her poem. And something like that is just, it's incredible. People reached out to me, Jill Scott, Questlove, I mean, all kinds of people and people who were not famous. It touched them in a deep place and that touches me in a deep place. 
when I heard it, it like, it reminded me of Carmen Jones, which is like, yeah. the first time I, I was introduced to opera. And the fact that you're, you're possibly introducing new people to opera too is kind of cool. Yeah, it's funny because after the reaction, I, you know, because I, I do compose a lot of opera and I reached out to friends of mine who run opera companies and I said, we are missing something. We are missing audiences because there's an audience for this that we have not tapped. And so it's kind of like, what are we doing wrong? How are we communicating incorrectly about what opera is and what opera can be? And, um, and even though this first season kind of has its story wrapped up by the end, are there, do you know if there's any plans for a season two? You know, I don't, I mean, I, 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 I have to assume there will be one, but I really haven't heard anything. I don't know what's going on. One can only hope. I hope there is. Oh my God. I hope there is. And um, like I mentioned before, you, you founded um, like basically a collection of like, hey, let's round up all the female uh, composers <laughs> and celebrate them. I love that. It's a roundup. No, it's great. It's awesome. Because I think too, like even myself and I'm, I'm like, I, I like soundtracks, but there were so many people that I wasn't really aware of before. Mm -hmm. You know, now like there's more females working, but um, what kind of drove your like to create this kind of stuff? I think you just laid it out perfectly. I think there have always been a lot of women working, but we have been invisible. And so people like you haven't heard of us or haven't heard of our work. Why there is that pervasive in invisibility is, um, is something that we're still uncovering. And there are a lot of sort of societal reasons for that. A lot of a lot of reasons, you know, we haven't had access to the top films. We haven't had access to the big hit projects. You know, Lovecraft is a big hit. This is why why we're talking today. Whereas, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, but, you know, if it's not a hit or you're not aware of it, or it's not sort of enough in the, in the public, if it's a smaller project, if it's a, a small independent film, then you might not have heard of it, right? And so it, 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 this is what we're trying to break down. We're trying to give more women more opportunities um, and, and also, you know, for black people and, and, and for every, every underrepresented group in our business, which is just about everybody except for, you know, except for white men. And, and, I, and I think it's about a movement to understand that these underrepresented voices are significant and important voices to hear, important voices to be scoring your favorite TV shows and to be creating music that maybe has a different perspective, who knows? But, but that's what we're pushing for. We're pushing for equity and for a seat at the table and a, uh, for people to be able to hear the music that we're creating and, and to love it. It's very, very simple and basic. That's great to hear um, because yeah, I was, I'm really loving researching this show too, because I've like, I've known about people like, you know, Delia Der Derbyshire, I think she was in England, like a lot mm -hmm. of electronic music uh, was like female based, but like people like yourself and then uh, too, there's like the Canadian Leslie Barber, I think. Um, yes, it's a, a great friend of mine and she's a wonderful composer. You know, I'd love to take a listen to Anna Meredith's music. She did the score for eighth grade. It's fantastic. Um, I'm married to a wonderful composer, Nora Cole Rosenbaum, uh, Lolita Ritmanis, Star Parodi, Heather McIntosh, Catherine Bostic, Miriam Cutler, uh, Dara Taylor, uh, Tamari Colley, who did Mudbound. She did The Assistant this year. 
Um, so there, are, that's why there are a lot of us, honestly. Amanda Jones, who was also nominated for an Emmy alongside of me, Sherry Chung. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Um, and there have been others historically too, like Shirley Walker, who's a brilliant composer who helped create Danny Elfman's sound, a name that you may or may not be aware of, but her music's available and she's just a terrific orchestral composer. You know, Mika Levy out of, out of the UK and, you know, there are quite a few really gifted composers coming out. And Hilder, of course, who just won the Oscar last year for the Joker. There are a lot, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're embarking on the journey to really discover them. And actually, you mentioned your, your wife and fellow composer, and you two actually worked together on the documentary uh, regarding Susan Sontag. We did. Yeah, we did. We worked together on a lot of different kinds of projects. It's super fun. And is that dynamic? How does that change like between like, you know, like working with Raphael for instance? Well, it's funny because Nora went to Juilliard as I did, and we studied with the same person and Milton Babbitt, and yet we have different musical sensibilities. You know, I come more out of kind of mid 20th century modernism and she comes more out of minimalism. So we, we, we bring something different, you know, and she's also an excellent kind of electronic music composer. Like she did a score um, for a Quibi show called Don't Look Deeper and it's super cool. And she makes sort of different decisions than I do. And, and it's funny because when you live with someone and when you share so many things in common, you know, the, the differences are more subtle than maybe they are with Raphael, but yet they're still there. And that's what makes it, I love collaborating because it, it, um, it keeps you sharp in a funny way. You know, you're not just kind of in your own head. You also are in somebody else's head as well. Oh, and I guess the, the next project that IMDb says that you have lined up is that uh, What If series uh -huh. Marvel. Can you talk about that or is that hard? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> Confirm it is true. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, you can look it up, you know, the stuff that's available, it's based on, on the What If comic line and it's just super fun. It's a great show. I think that's all I can probably say. I'll look forward to, to hearing that when it, it does come out then. Great. Thanks so much for, for your time today. Um, I'm really excited to introduce uh, people to not only your music, but uh, other female composers too. My great pleasure. Thanks for calling.
And that was Laura Cartman and Nora Kroll Rosenbaum with the critique of Pure Reason from the 2014 documentary regarding Susan Sontag. And before that, we heard the main title of the 2002 miniseries Taken, which Laura worked on. And then right before that was Lovecraft Country's powerful Tulsa 1921 with Janine Bruger on vocals, which I'm sure after you hearing it, you'll realize why Laura picked it as her favorite track on the album. And it was really quite thrilling to have a chance to talk to an accomplished composer, and especially one of the founders of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. So let's spend the remainder of this hour celebrating the careers of those early soundtrack pioneers who paved the way for the women working in film and TV today. While there certainly were females composing for screen before her, let's start with Delia Derbyshire, who in the late 1950s couldn't even get a job at Decca Records because they didn't employ females in the recording room studio. She did, however, get a job at BBC's Radiophonic Workshop, where she quickly became a pioneer in electronic music. In this next set, let's hear her theme for Doctor Who, which remains one of the most recognizable British television themes. And we'll hear the main title from 1965's Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, which coincidentally is a horror anthology film featured in the new documentary Tales of the Uncanny, which is now available to rent online from Winnipeg Cinematheque until December 15th. And then we'll hear Delia's work from 1973, when she was paired up with Brian Hodson for The Legend of Hell House. 
which if you're looking to keep up the British tradition of a ghost story for Christmas, is a movie I would recommend this year as it takes place in December. Then we'll jump to the early 80s where American Suzanne Ciani not only became the first female to write an electronic score for a Hollywood film, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, but also wrote music for pinball machines. And we're gonna hear a catchy TV spot for a 1982 Atari game called Liberator right after Wendy Carlos' score for Disney's Tron that came out that same year. But first, let's jump into the TARDIS and travel back to 1963 for the Doctor Who theme. While Delia made no money for electronically realizing Ron Grainer's musical ideas, at least she was acknowledged for her work, which wasn't always the case.
and welcome back to a celebration of female composers on 101.5 FM. For complete set lists, visit the Mondo Hollywood programming page on www.umfm.com. And the piece of music that we just heard there was from 1993's Batman, Mask of the Phantasm by Shirley Walker. She was the composer Laura mentioned in the interview as being a main influence on Danny Elfman's film work as they worked together in the 1980s. She also worked with John Carpenter on Escape from L.A., True Lies, and the first three entries of the Final Destination series before her sudden death at the age of 61 in 2006. And before that, we heard Rachel Portman from 1989's The Women in Black and Anne Dudley with the theme from the TV adaptation of Jeeves and Wooster, starring Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. Both women went on to become the first females to win Oscars for Best Original Comedy or Musical Score. Portman for 1995's Emma, and Dudley two years later for The Full Monty. And thank you so much for joining me for this special episode celebrating the soundtracks of female composers. Let's end the show with some of the current talent working today, including Anna Meredith, Miriam Cutler, and Leslie Barber, as well as last year's winner for Best Original Score, Hilda Gunnedeter, who became the first woman to win in the Best Original Score category since they can combine both dramatic and comedy scores into one in 2000. And we'll end the show with a song most Canadians will recognize but may not necessarily know was written by a woman. In fact, it was on Fascinating Rhythm, the terrific jazz show that airs before this one here on UMFM, that I discovered that Hockey Night in Canada theme was written by Dolores Clayman. And playing it on the show today is Neil Peart, drummer of Rush, who passed away earlier in January of this year. So let's start off this last set with Star Parodi and Jeff Eden with a track called Her Story from 2005's Conversations with Other Women. Until next time, take care and stay safe.